Hello and welcome to the third episode of You Should Talk to Somebody. <coughs> Excuse me, I have a terrible throat at the moment, so I will do this as best as possible. If it sounds okay, then I will publish it. If not, I will trademark it. Um, I want to start off by thanking everybody for listening and the feedback has been honestly incredible. <laughs> I woke up this morning and had a little cry about it um, and it was happy tears just that I'm finally being heard, I can finally tell my story which leads me on to today's episode. Um, now, I should say, to start off with, I'm going to talk about my early life, my childhood, um, and for those that listen that are involved, I will keep names anonymous, but I hope you understand, I have to tell my story, but you know I have to tell my truth, this is how I heal. Um, there are three sides to every story, every situation, you know, many perspectives. There are three sides, person A, person B, and the truth, you know, the, the overall, the outside perspective. So you'll hear mine perspective and if those people want to comment on theirs they are more than welcome and I'm more than happy to answer questions, have conversations, you know, take accountability as long as accountability is taken as well. You know this is what this is about for me, this is about me taking accountability for my life. So, excuse me, Terrible, terrible little um, chesty. Go put the chesty cake today. So, I was born in Shrewsbury uh, around mid December 1995. Um, I'm a Sagittarius, fiery. <laughs> fiery, and we'll say it, we'll try to say it like it is. My anxiety gets the best of me when it comes to that. <laughs> um, I was born to a lady who was from Yorkshire. Um, she had me when she, I think, maybe mid to late thirties. Um, I was one of six. The youngest, um, and yeah, I was I was born to my mum. Uh, I suppose I can use her name. Uh, it's unfortunately she's no longer with us. Um, so Lorraine, I was born to Lorraine. Um, in December nineteen ninety five in Shrewsbury, Shropshire. 
we lived in the Shropshire area with my siblings. Um, now, to give a bit of backstory of my life, I suppose I need to give you a bit of backstory about my mum. Um, this is where it all really starts. So my mum was born in August 1959 in the Yorkshire area um, to Ivy and William Rickson. Um, she was one of many. <laughs> I think she was one of seven and one of and, and the only girl. Um, so as you can imagine back then, a big family, it's a lot to support. They had, uh, I'm pretty sure my granddad was in the army. Um, and from what I've searched through family history and ancestry.com, what I found was that my, my grandmother Ivy was a, uh, a note teller it said on the record. So I, I think it's somebody who kind of works in the printing of banknotes. Um, and I think that was before they started having children and once they had children, she stayed at home and looked after them. Um, she had six boys and one girl. So when my mum Lorraine came along, um, I, I presume that's the only girl, you know, she was kind of looked after as they, you know, were around that time, you know, the 60s. Um, when, now, unfortunately, she did go through a lot of trauma. Um, she became a mum at 14. She had my oldest brother. Um... My grandfather's friend, I'm led to believe my grandfather's friend had um, raped her and she had fallen pregnant because, you know, abortion, having children out of wedlock or getting rid of children, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't a thing, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing to do back then, you know, it was, it was really judged. So she ended up having my oldest brother at the age of 14. She came down south. Um, and I'm quite hazy on the details, so I'm recanting from what I know and what I've been told. So I, I could be wrong. I could be off. I could be missing. But yes, this is this is just what I know. She came down here with my oldest brother. I think she came to Shropshire, where I don't think she had a great life with my oldest brother. You know, she was a child herself, and children raising children is difficult. It's like I myself can't comprehend. You know, fourteen is such a crazy age to 
have to deal with such life changes to your body have to deal with such life changes when you probably haven't been in puberty for very long it's heartbreaking and I can admit I spent so many years mad at my mum for the life that we led and for the fact that she died and she wasn't here that it really only took me it not oh no it took me many years um maybe about 16 years to truly appreciate that you know my mum was just a person too and that Although we are responsible for what we do, there are reasons as to why we do it. Um, and I wasn't aware of the reasons at the time. And then I found out, and when I found out, I just felt such a profound sadness for her that she had to go through that alone I, I think I think my grandparents were kind of you know a little bit there for her but she was I feel like she was probably alone and that would cause any anybody trauma massive amounts of trauma um so then I think she met my first sister's dad um, and now, because my mum grew up in a Caucasian family in Yorkshire, in the Dales in Yorkshire, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't really a lot of people of colour about me. I, I have to remember that, you know, to be a bit diplomatic in, <laughs> in what I say. Um, but you know there wasn't there wasn't a lot of people of you know a different skin color and my mum had found somebody that i think he was jamaican and i'm led to believe that she fell pregnant my grandparents and her siblings disowned my mum she was still quite young, I think she was like maybe 15, 16, 17. Still quite young. Um, I think her whole family just disowned her because she was with somebody of a different colour. She was, you know, with a, with a black man. And at that time, that just wasn't a thing. You just didn't do that. So... Imagine not only having to become a mother at 14, but your whole family has abandoned you because you've fallen pregnant or fallen fallen in love or, you know, had feelings for someone that, you know, looks different to you. I'm not sure of their relationship. I'm not sure if there was abuse. Um, I will have to do some more research and you know, set the record straight a little later. But it's just sad. It's just really sad. So my mum had to go with that alone, or I, I presume kind of she made friends around Shropshire 
Um, and they must have helped or supported her because otherwise she'd have just kind of been on her own with two kids. Um, in the 70s and it's that's no life to lead for children that's no life to lead for anybody for family you know it's upsetting that the time people were like that and that's become a common thing that I've heard around um kind of my home time of people that you know in the 70s 80s 90s that ended up having children with people of different color or uh, you know were seen to be around people of a different color they were discerned by their own community i guess which is you know it's upsetting we are all human we all bleed the same color it's merely a different you know tolerance to to sun and different features that's it we are all the same people we are all of the same species so i've never understood it personally i have always grown up being i think tolerant well, I guess I haven't always been as tolerant myself from how I've grown up. Um, I have to I, I grew up in a very, you know, a predominantly white town. And I always grew up in a white family. When, when I grew up with my birth mum, it was just me and one brother in our house and my mum. And then when I was fostered, I was in a white family. So I've always had a majority of white friends. I've always dated white men or uh, kind of messed about with black women, Asian women, women of all different color. Uh, it's a real weird thing I, I haven't quite understood about myself why I, seem to have the idea that uh, women of all colour are okay but not quite men. I think because I grew up in a town where grooming was so prevalent, like uh, we, my town of Telford, um, now it's not all bad, we do it can be a lovely time, but, you know, we do have to be honest. One of the things that we are known for in our time is grooming. Um, it's the grooming of young girls uh, and young boys, and that's something that's not even broached on. That's something that hasn't even really been scraped the surface of. Um, but unfortunately a lot of people are very wary of that so that creates unfortunately a lot of the perpetrators in the grooming cases have been of asian descent um 
a few Muslim descent, you know, just it's not a race thing because there are so many people of all different colours that do that exact horrid, like horrific thing. Um, but I'm getting carried away. Let me reloop back to the previous story. Um, so yeah, my mum had my oldest brother and my oldest sister. Um, and then she met the father of the rest of my siblings. Um, and from what I understand, they were together for kind of the longest. They had, you know, the most kids together. I'm, 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 from what, what I'm aware of, they had three kids together. Um, my third sibling, which is a brother who was in his late 30s. Then another brother that I lived in the house with my birth mum with, who is in his mid-30s. Um, then there was a sister who would be in her early 30s. However, she passed away from cancer. She unfortunately lost a battle with, um, with cancer in June 2019. Um, it was recently her, her anniversary of her death. And it kind of spurred me on to get the ball rolling with this and do more episodes. Um, so I thank her for that. You know, I've been asking for focus and the ability to be able to do more than I've been doing to heal. And I would like to think that this kind of goes hand in hand. It helps, you know, I can't afford therapy at the moment. So this is the next best thing, I guess. Um, but we'll get into that in, in later episodes. You know, I'm, I'm an open book. I won't ever pretend that... Well, I pretend emotionally that I'm not struggling, but I won't pretend that I'm not struggling if I'm struggling financially or physically. Um, you shouldn't be too prideful to ask for help. And that's something I've recently learned. <coughs> so sorry about my voice. Hopefully it gets better. So I... Hoping this, um, this brew will help. But, so yeah, those are my siblings. That's me. That's my mum. She didn't have a great relationship with my siblings' dad. From what I'm led to believe, there was a lot of abuse. Um... A lot of abuse, a lot of physical abuse. I have the suspicion that my sibling's dad is a narcissist, um, has narcissistic personality disorder. And he was the kind of, um, <coughs> one of the first men I saw in my life. So how he behaved was kind of how I saw stuff, how I saw, how I saw relationships how he treated my siblings, you know, I have a memory of him, my brother doing something, um, 
I think he just misbehaved. He must have been about 15, 16 at the time. Something young. Young. Just being a kid. And his dad coming in into our house um, and hitting him in like so we had stairs that kind of wrapped around a little bit uh, and it would have like a middle landing bit if anyone's kind of familiar and he was kind of carrying in in the corner and his dad was hitting him and to see that it was just like uh, remembering it now it was just horrific you know no one deserves that no one should you don't need to hit your kids to teach them a lesson. Let me just say that now. You don't need to resort to violence, abuse. You don't need to. And if you feel like you need to, you need to sit down and have a, just think, have a conversation with yourself. Why is this? If it's, oh, my parents did it with me. That's not right either. They shouldn't have done that to you either. That's something to maybe think about in here. Shouldn't you shouldn't spill that onto your kids? You know they don't ask to be born. It's your decision to have them. You make the decision that you know you're okay to have these kids to raise these kids. They are not responsible for that. They are not responsible for themselves until they are an adult. It is your job to make sure that they are better than you. You don't have to resort to violence to do that. Speaking from experience. Um, but I remember seeing that and I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story, you know. I I won't mention names out of respect. But the way I, his his dad has had many a kids, they have all more or less kind of turned out to have abandonment issues, to have, you know, issues with drugs, issues with violence, issues with abuse to themselves, to drugs, to their partners, whether that's physical, whether that's mental, you know, emotional, psychological, it's, it's really quite weird to see how generational trauma plays out and how it plays out in a generation and then how it spills out into their kids and then their kids and until somebody goes, no, do you know what? So, no, this isn't right, this isn't, I'm done with this, this is not okay. And that is the scariest thing, you know, you become the black sheep, you become the pariah, almost. There's somebody that is seen to not care, not be asked to not love their family, and that's not the case. Sometimes you have to love people from afar, because to be in that situation is just damaging to, could be damaging to your physical health, can be damaging to your mental health, and that's stuff that you have to live with for life. You know, the, the little memories that we have as kids that 
our parents have done, other people's parents have done, etc. As an adult, like I said, you, you understand that your parents are people too and they were just trying to do what they thought was best or what they thought they knew just by seeing from their parents or grandparents or guardians and adults in their life. And that's how it goes on. But we all have to be accountable too for what we do, the things that, you know, we might not mean to do to other people, but we do. We have to be accountable for that. That's the only way that we get through it, we get over it, that we heal from it and we're able to possibly build something beyond that, you know, if, if should that be the case, should that be of interest to both parties. It's hard when it comes to the family because sometimes they're all you know. Um, and it's hard to speak out against or about something. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to rock the boat. I said this to a friend yesterday. Um, you know, you, you're so conscious that you don't want to, uh, I say you, you know, I, could be you, you might not feel this, you might just be listening because you're interested, knows it, I don't know, anything, but I am conscious of not rocking other people's boats and not wanting to, you know, open floodgates for people if they're not ready or they don't want to, but in doing that, I then... I'm just drowning myself in tears, in emotion, in pressure, in hurt, in trauma, in heartbreak, in all of that, trying to hold it all together and not let it spill. There has to be a medium ground, you know. Unfortunately, in regards to my mum, I don't think any of my siblings, myself included, will ever get, we won't ever get to have that conversation. You know, ask her about things. And, um, unfortunately, she passed away on the, um, on the 13th of April, 2004. So we're 18 years on now. <laughs> That's a long time. I didn't process it for a long time. And I don't think any of my siblings really did either. Um, I don't think any of us really processed it for a long time. And I think we were forced to when, uh, again, I, I guess I can talk about my sister as she's not here. Um, when we lost Coletta in 2019, um, I think we were all confronted with the fact that, you know, oh God, we've, we've been through this before. It was exactly the same as my mum. You know, that was very quick from us finding out to her passing away. You know, it was so quick, so, so, so quick. A matter of a month, less than two months. Like, so, so quick. 
Um, the same thing happened with Coletta. Um, I think she was kind of aware that she'd been poorly for a long time, but she wasn't really taken seriously by doctors, the hospital. So when she found out in early 2019, uh, I think it was April, um, and then she was taken the 7th of June, so less than two months, history just kind of repeated itself. I apologise for the silences. I, when you speak about it and it kind of comes to your, the forefront of your mind, it's, um, it's just crazy. And I've always stood by the fact that history does repeat itself. If you look at certain things, um, it's always the same thing because appears when the lesson is not learned the lesson will just kept will just be repeated until it is um and i'm still not quite sure what the lesson is quite yet but i think i'm learning i think it's about trauma i am pretty certain your physical health is linked to your um, psychological health, your mental health. If, if, it, if anyone ever gets a chance, I would really recommend you read uh, the book called The Body, Re the Body Keeps Score. Now, it's about trauma and what happens to trauma in the body and how it's kept and then how it, it can manifest into tumours, into cancer into alcoholism, into, you know, drug dependency, into all sorts, um, into disorders. It's crazy. And I would really recommend, if you get a chance, please, please, please read that. It's phenomenal. It will change your life. Because it, it's true, the body does keep score, because you've only got one body. And until you deal with it, it will keep repeating, it will keep coming up, it will keep, no matter how much you keep pushing it down and ignoring it and trying to fill your time with things to do, keeping yourself busy because it's easier to do that, like trying to fix others because it's easier to do that than it is to fix yourself. I know this from experience, you know, it's... Your body remembers, your body knows you have to heal it. Um, and unfortunately, my mum went through a lot of trauma, a lot, a lot, a lot of trauma. She did not heal. Um, and I think that eventually ate her up to the point where. I think she knew she was poor, from what I'm led to believe from her friends that are still alive. Because um, she would only be in her 60s now, if she if she was still here with us. Um, from what I'm led to believe, 
she knew she was poorly for quite a long time. She just didn't tell anybody. Um, I think she kind of just buried her head in the sand. So I'll explain a little bit of the trauma that my mum went through. So it gives you a bit of an a bit of an idea of the trauma that is ingrained so deep in my DNA, in my lineage, in my sibling group, because it is passed through my mum's body into up into us. Um, six weeks after I was born. So, 19, December 1995, so we're January, end of January, February. My oldest sister, Marcia, um, God bless her soul, um, she was taken in a car accident involving her, my godmother, my middle name I share with um, and she died at the age of 16 protecting the kids in the back she was sat in the front um, and the kids the baby um, my godmother's baby started crying and Marcia had reached in the back trying to sort her out um, and control was lost of the car. No, it wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't anybody's fault. It was just one of those freak accidents that happened. Um, but she passed away at the age of 16, protecting the kids. Um, so uh, She died being something really angelic. I must apologise if I cry or I take a minute during this. Uh, we are obviously touching on some setting emotional stuff. Uh, I don't remember Marcia, unfortunately, as I was only six weeks old. I wasn't very old. <clears throat> but I'm told how much of a beautiful soul she was. And to hear that act courageous act only really reinforces that <clears throat> but she was only 16 and I think that that broke something inside of my mum she lost her firstborn daughter um, and I get the feeling that it her inside and I, I don't think she was the same from them from what I'm told this is all obviously this all has to be speculative unfortunately because I wasn't of the age where I can remember the going-ons of around that time I remember from around probably 2002 2003 Prepping. Um <clears throat> so I only really remember the last 20, 21 years of my life. I'm 26, so 
I'll try and recant <laughs> that to you guys. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, there was a lot of trauma that my mum went through. And I don't think she was the same afterwards. And in that, I don't think she was... I don't think she could have been the mum she wanted and needed to be to my siblings. Um, Coletta went to go and live with her dad. Um, so did my brother Garth. We don't speak. I don't really care about keeping his name. <laughs> Um, he knows, you know, he's not an evil person, but he is not a person I want in my life. You know, we all are responsible for the decisions that we make and the decisions that he has made. And this is nothing I haven't said to him. The decisions that he has made, he's currently in prison, I'm not sure which prison, um, he's currently serving. I think uh, at least five years in prison for aggravated assault um, and battery. He battered his partner, uh, who was also the mother of his children. Um, and I want nothing to do with that situation. Um, it's not a good situation at all. Either parties, you know, the both complicit, both hurt and hurt people, hurt people. Um, so, yeah, so there was only just me and my other brother in the house with my mum. Um, I grew up kind of bending for myself really, sorting myself out because my mum always wanted to make money, you know, always wanted to be able to support the house and support us. Um, she was a, I'm pretty sure, now am I a snitch for this? <laughs> uh, snitches get snitches, but I've had plenty of them. Um, so my mum used to, I think, sell weed or skunk, I think it was back then. You know, in the, in the 90s, early 2000s. Um, and she was also kind of a collector, a money collector for a loan shark. As well as working on the phones in a taxi rank, <laughs> in the local taxi rank. So was doing something. Um, you know, she took no nonsense. And I think that was just because she had to grow up quick and she had to take no nonsense. But she was a very lonely woman. I always remember men, you know, being there every night without fail. Um, some of the men I knew, some of the men were the men that lived on our street. Um... Some of the men I didn't know. Uh, it wasn't until later I found out the street we grew up on, the street that we lived on, was actually the street in 
central of where the grooming in Telford was taking place and I actually found that out a few months ago after watching a documentary and oh, it is just so difficult that it's it's difficult to articulate knowing that people that you you know grew up with people whose houses that you used to play in and whose children that you used to you know that you grew up with and played with that their dads brothers uncles could be involved in such a heinous act in ruining somebody's life in ruining so many young women and young people's and families' lives, the enormity of it was just crazy. Now, I mentioned yesterday about, not liking the messenger, but it doesn't mean that you should ignore the message. Now, the documentary I watched on that was a Tommy Robinson. I was showing a Tommy, a Tommy Robinson documentary brought to my attention. Um, now, I don't agree with him. I think he is an absolute charlatan. However, you know, I don't agree with his policies, his views, his beliefs. What I do and am thankful for is him making the public aware of what is going on. Because I, I knew there was grooming going on and has been grooming going on since probably the 60s um but people just don't like to talk about it you know it's it's been swept under the rug by a whole community several communities including the public professional bodies you know it's crazy it's crazy that this has been allowed to go on um so it was just enormous and less such a despair to know that you actually knew some of the people that did some of the stuff in the you know they could have been downstairs or you were upstairs by yourself you know while they were keeping your your mum company makes me feel poorly and I understand that's part of the trauma that I have to you know almost relive and understand that that's not okay that, that I was a kid and that I shouldn't have I shouldn't have known or seen stuff like that I was so little I was like five plus five to eight and that is, I can't imagine a child having to, you know, go through that now. And I always remember put, sticking a, a video, <laughs> how old am I, sticking a video in, thinking it was Blue Streak, if you remember the film. Um, and I, I, I think I've mentioned this on the, on the first episode in Dysfunctional Beaver. 
Um, obviously, I will talk about stuff I've already talked about, and just to make things a bit more clear and that you understand me, etc., etc. But um, I do apologise. My belly is rumbling. <laughs> I'm quite hungry. <laughs> I won't keep you too much longer, but I will obviously talk a little bit more about my childhood. Um, so yeah, so that's how we that's how we grew up. So I kind of raised myself. Um, I learned how to make cup of teas from the age of six. Ridiculous! I've actually got a scar on my arm from where I burnt myself the first time. I am. I have learned in my life that I learn the hard way. <laughs> and although as frustrating it is, it's also the lessons that you do learn. I make a banging cup of tea now. <laughs> so you know, silver linings. Um. And my brother, you know, he's ten years older than me, so. He had his own life. He wanted to, you know, be older and do his own thing. And who can blame him? Um, there's another podcast that I, I love to listen to that's really helped me, and it's called Adult Child. And the lady that does it is called Andrea, and she's fantastic. Um, she taught me about this term called adult child and i'm definitely that if you get a chance google it have a look at the symptoms have a look at the um you know the diagnosis the kind of back sheet for it and you know it might not relate to you but it might relate to someone you know um but definitely i mean i cried when i started listening to the podcast because i was just like oh my goodness <laughs> this is me oh dear <laughs> it was it was crazy so I just carried on listening and it really helped me it really helped make sense as to my behaviors if you're gonna look deep within yourself you have to start with looking at your behaviors looking at your own patterns um, and that's what I started doing but Oh, someone's coming in. Hello. I was expecting you home. That's my partner, Callum, just walking in. I'm in, just doing my podcast at the moment. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. 